This is episode 38 of the Steady Trade Podcast with your host, Tim Bowen. That's how old I am. And Stephen Johnson. You want to quickly go on Tinder again and I thought, oh. Today, Tim and Stephen are talking with successful day trader Michael Good. Technically, uh, I should be addressed as Master Good. Uh, sorry, Master Michael Good who once upon a time was kind of a true believer in penny stocks. Wind farming, this is 2004. It's like, this is going to be a big thing. You, you started out as a true believer in a penny stock. <laughs> well, I didn't get to the part of true believer because okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm very skeptical by nature. But eventually learned how to turn scams and frauds into real, actual money in his grubby little hands. You know, it was just a tiny little column talking about scams and uh, frauds and pump and dumps. And... Uh, one time in the summer of 2017, I said, oh, okay, I'll look up this pump and dump and see if it's shortable at IB. And it was shortable at IB. Of course, he lost a lot along the way, trying to hit a home run on every trade. I was up 80000 for the year. Over the next month and three trades, I lost $100,000. Because I wanted to get those big scores, I wanted to hit a home run. But eventually, he learned that size really doesn't matter. You don't need a big position size to make good money. Which led him to share a secret that he never used to share. This is how old I am. That was that was the old secret strategy, right? That was that was that he would, he would never tell anybody. He yeah, would always tell he would mention it, but he would never let anybody know. And put him right into Steven's sights for a goofy game of Tinder. <laughs> I wanted to make it up to you, so I've created a new game, not called Tinder, uh, but it's called Timba or Timber. He writes it one way but spells it another. It's basically what happens when Steven Johnson creates a Tinder game inspired by Tim Bowen. Will Master Good win at Tinder? You'll have to listen all the way through to find out. But first, let's dip into our listener mailbag for a quick question asked by our very own Steven Johnson, a.k.a. Jeevan Stonson. How do you find this first strategy? How do you find this this first pattern? Because it's Tim gets on Socks to Trade Pro a lot as well. A lot of people saying, well, I know I need to find a pattern that works, but how do I find it? I mean, what what advice can you give there? That is a really good question, Steve. Um, Thank you. A very good question. (laughs) An excellent question. And, you know, you almost deserve a duck for that question. And before we start today's episode... Tim would like to introduce a new drinking game to you. Don't do this if you're driving. This episode's drinking game is take a shot every time Michael is off by a decade on his years because <laughs> I think we had about 10 or 15 2007s that should have been 2000 or 2017s that should have been 2007s. So and, and 2018s that should have been 2008s. All this and more coming up in just a few moments. But first... A word from our sponsor. Hey there, listeners. The Steady Trade Podcast is powered by Stocks to Trade, the ultimate trading platform created by traders for traders. Now, many of you already use Stocks to Trade. Some of you even use Stocks to Trade Pro and get to hear Tim Bowen every day. So, of course, you know from experience how Stocks to Trade cuts out time and stress of trying to find the best stocks to trade and lets you focus on becoming a better trader in whatever style or patterns fit you best. Now, for those of you who have never tried Stocks to Trade for yourself, 
we here at the Steady Trade Podcast want to help you out as a way of thanking you for listening to the Steady Trade Podcast. We have a special coupon for you. It's a promotion for the first 300 people who respond, and it will save you 20% off of your first month of stocks to trade. So you can try this out for yourself. Now, even if you're not ready to start trading real money, but you want to practice trading in real time to develop your skills, you can use the paper trading feature of stocks to trade. It's a great tool for traders, so come check it out. Simply go to our website, steadytrade.com, look for the coupon code steadytrade39, click it, fill in your registration information, and boom, you're ready to start trading. Now, again, this is only available to new subscribers of Stocks to Trade. It's not combinable with any other offers, and there's only a limited number of coupons available. So go be one of the first 300 new subscribers. Sign up for Stocks to Trade using coupon code SteadyTrade39. Go do it today and put your trading skills to the test. Welcome back to the Steady Trade Podcast. Uh, you know, we like to do a little bit of everything here with whether we're talking about getting started trading, trade setups, going over trades, psychology. And then we also like to quite frequently, some of our most popular episodes have been interviews with, with traders. And one thing that I like that, that we've chose to do is all across the spectrum of, of, of whether it be, you know, I remember... Um, we had a, we had a, oh, she did the country song. I, I, she's going to be hate me for hate for forgetting her name, but, um, she did the country song. Jude. A couple of weeks. Hey, Jude. Jude. Hey Jude. I can't believe I forgot Jude's name. <laughs> Thank you to the man in my ear. But, uh, you know, she had just gotten started trading a couple weeks ago. We've had, uh, all the way up to somebody like Phil Godeker that's been trading for probably close to 20 years. And then we've got somebody similar like that today, uh, you know, somebody that has had a long history of, of trading in penny stocks, uh, you know, actually goes predates. I like to think I'm one of the old men in the penny stock world, but, but Michael actually predates me, was, um, you know, has been a friend for probably close to, close to 10 years now, met him back in the early days of, of the penny stock boom in 2007, 2008-ish. And, uh, you know, he had trading experience before that. And, you know, here 10 years later is still trading. Um, so what I want to do is kind of bring his story, what, uh, what got him started in penny stocks, what, what he is trading now. I think he's kind of evolved into some different things over the last couple of years. Um, he also got a dog and, uh, Steven got to meet him last summer. So, so Steven's gotten to be fast friends with him as well. So would like to thank you or, or welcome you to the podcast, <laughs> Michael, as soon as you get done beating your dog. So sorry, I have a puggle and she's, uh, she doesn't ever follow directions, uh, but she's a rescue puggle and we love her very much and she stinks. Yeah. Hi, I'm Michael Good. I've been around for a long time and it, I, it feels like it. And uh, Tim gives me a little extra credit i wasn't trading much or at least not successfully that long before he started got started uh but we were both original tim alert subscribers i remember uh back in may 2008 uh and uh before that i got started in mid 2007 with actually making good money trading i'd been actually trading since 2004 early 2004 
so do you want to give do you want me to give you my uh, basic bio on uh, now? Yeah, or? yeah. I mean, I think everybody, everybody, you know, again, we're we're catering towards a lot of new traders, so a yeah. lot of them want to know how do I get started? How did how did he get started? What can I emulate? What what can I take away from that? So, yeah. well, uh, and at the time I got it start, I got it. Wow, I can speak great. I, when I got started in trading, how, how much vodka have you had? <laughs> I'm prepared with lots of vodka. I've heard about these great podcasts, uh, but this is actually unopened. Um, <laughs> I have not had any vodka. I have had some coffee. He, he can't drink. You can tell by he's in training right now. I mean, he can't drink while you're in training. He's getting ready for a big fight next week. Yes. <laughs> but uh, I got started back in 2004 and uh, I inherited some money, uh, my uh, grandmother died, and uh, then also I got married, and uh, my wife's father died, and she got some money from his uh, life insurance, and we had some cash. We were in grad school at the time. My wife studying chemistry. I was studying uh, cognitive psychology, and I said, okay, I want to learn about investing. So I'm very academically oriented. What, what do I do in grad? What do you do in grad school? I just read papers and do read research all the time and say, okay, it's not that hard. I know math. I can learn this stuff. So I just started reading about investing. And uh, if I could, well, I guess I can. Uh, for those of you actually watching on video, I don't know how many of you that is. Can't see very well, but that whole bookcase there is investing books. Nice. Uh, a very large bookcase including uh but uh so and then i also started reading uh research things looking at stuff online and uh i, I wanted to get into value investing uh i heard about that that sounded cool and uh, that's really what i started doing but uh my association with penny stocks actually started at the very beginning one of the first stocks i wanted to get involved in i wanted to get involved yeah get involved in was a little stock called U.S. wind farming, USWF on the pink sheets. And I didn't know anything about Edgar. I didn't know anything about SEC filings. I didn't know about, uh, you know, how the pink sheets were bad. I didn't know anything about uh, much of anything. But I say, hey, wind farming, this is 2004. It's like, this is going to be a big thing. It's costs are really starting to come down. And uh, this will be a new way to make energy over the next decades. And so, so, so you you started out as as many of us do, yeah. With with you, you started out as a true believer in a penny stock. <laughs> well, I didn't get to the part of true believer because okay. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm very skeptical by nature. So, uh, what I first thing I did again, I don't know anything about uh, looking up the financials of the company, but I googled the CEO at least, and they put out a bunch of press releases, and I found that the CEO had spent five years in federal prison for stock fraud. And this was in a scheme, basically alchemy, uh, with the University of Texas Austin chemistry professor. They told investors they were going to find a way to turn base metals into gold. And, <laughs> I mean, this is the dumbest kind of scam ever. And Well, well, well that's like, man, you talk about that. That's like the original pump and dump right there, man. Yeah, people people were trying alchemy like a thousand, two thousand years ago. <laughs> yeah, and it, I guess it still works for trying to get people to give you their money. Uh, but uh, 
he actually went to prison for it. I sent him an email. I said, hey, is this the same guy? I mean, his name wasn't that uncommon, but it wasn't super common either. Uh, and uh, he responded. Uh, this was at the time that uh, Martha Stewart was in jail uh, for uh, insider trading. And he said, hey, unlike Martha Stewart, I'm not going anywhere. And uh, if you don't want to invest, if you think this is too risky, that's fine. Don't invest. But I assure you, big things are going to be happening over the next year. And he was absolutely right. Just six months later, something big happened. The SEC sued him and shut down the company because all these press releases they put out were lies, just blatant lies. Their whole business was a lie. Uh, And uh, poof goes them. And that was my first introduction to penny stocks. And I said, hey, that's really cool because it's just an absolute fraud. And I knew about it ahead of time. Well, you know, the basics. I didn't know how to research it, but I knew that this guy was a fraudster and he was running this public company. Uh, And at the time, I was doing some random trading. I mean, like day trading GE and uh, uh, Amazon, shorting, buying, trading options, I was trying anything. And uh, so I knew about short selling even from the very beginning. I said, wow, that would be really cool if I could short sell this. But then I found out, hey, you can't short sell uh, OTC stocks uh, because that's what, you know, happened if you Googled it back then. Um, so, so that's which, which, that which, for the, which for the listener and Michael will get to that. You know, back in the day, I like to say all the time, you know, there was all this misinformation that you, you know, you would, you would research these things and you would be like, oh, they can't be shorted. You would even read back then, you'd sometimes read stuff that said it was illegal to short some of these stocks. So exactly. Yeah. And again, keep in mind, this is back in 2004. uh, And uh, this is long before anyone's heard of Tim Sykes. Uh, And So for the next few years, what I did is as I was continuing my studies in grad school, uh, fairly early on, I realized I didn't want to go and get my PhD and be a uh, professor. I just was not motivated enough. And uh, kids, some advice. Uh, If any of you really does absolutely love something and want to become a researcher, uh, go ahead and do it. I think it's a really rewarding lifestyle. Uh, You're not going to get rich, but uh, if you're good at it, you'll have a very comfortable living. Uh, But the thing is, you need to be really motivated and really love what you're doing. For me, I just loved, I loved learning things. And after a couple of years of of learning this one thing, like the actual details of memory and uh, attention aren't really that exciting to me. I want to learn something new. So uh, yeah, I just realized I w- it wasn't for me. And then I started learning, uh, keeping learning more about uh, investing. And uh, my goal was to uh, leave grad school. Uh, I left grad school with uh, a master's degree. So technically, uh, I should be addressed as master good. And uh, can we just do that for the rest of the podcast? Just as a rule? Every time we uh, re- reference Michael, can we just call him master good? I like it. <laughs> Uh, just, I, I like it with the accent. Yeah, sure. Lost a good. Okay. Uh, and if you don't, you have to have a drink, but carry on. But uh, yeah, so I, I figured, okay, I'll go into investment uh, management or something like that. And by the time I'm leaving grad school at two thousand mid-2007, you know, you've got the great financial crisis about to begin. And also mid-2007, 
one of the things I was doing, I've been doing for the last year was, what was it? Algorithmic uh, swing trading uh, of uh, small cap, bio, uh, small cap stocks, some biotech, some uh, tech, tech stocks. Uh, and I was trading a lot of stocks with a not huge account and I needed a broker that would allow me to do that without huge commissions. So that's how I found interactive brokers at the beginning of 2017. And I still followed the world of pump and dumps. Back then, uh, there was a column in Forbes. Uh, I forget the name of the column, but you know, it was just a tiny little column and talking about scams and uh, frauds and pump and dumps. And uh, one time in the summer of 2017, I said, oh, okay, I'll look up this pump and dump and see if it's shortable at IB. And it was shortable at IB. And, and, I said, and I, everybody always yells at me on the podcast for interrupting. So I'm good. But, but yeah, you, you, just, just to help you keep on your, on your, on your role, you, you said 2017 twice. You, you meant 2007. So I did sorry. mean 2007. Sorry. Time um, is difficult for me. Uh, now, if you are big into physics, you might understand the concept of block time. And I actually function in block time. So time is not like an arrow for me. All time exists at once. Uh, sorry. So 2007 uh, was when this was happening. Uh, and I said, oh, my gosh, at Interactive Brokers, I can actually short these pump and dumps. So I'm finishing up tidying up my thesis uh, to leave grad school, uh, trying to get real jobs. No, I get one interview uh, with the St. Louis Federal Reserve for a data and analysis position that would have paid me, I think, about $30,000 a year with no hope for any advancement ever. And uh, I said, uh, to hell with that. They didn't even offer me the job. They just got me an interview. They said, to hell with this guy. He's got the wrong qualifications. Um, but I, I did find a friend who was also going about to go into finance, found that his finance jobs offers were gone uh, because of the great financial crisis. Uh, so I started running his tutoring company. And uh, that occupied, that paid me some cash and occupied some of my time. But really, starting in the summer of 2017, I started making a bunch of money just sort of swing trade shorting uh, pump and dumps. And I was not using any good risk control. And essentially what I was doing is I'd short one, wait for it to collapse, and then find the next one or two, and then take all the money I made from the last one and just get a bigger position uh, and do that five or six times. And, you know, soon I'd uh, I have a blog post about this. Again, I don't want to get into exact numbers because it's sort of confusing. Um, again, my blog, I have to pump it, goodtrades.com, G-O-O-D-E, trades.com. And gosh, uh, if you search it for SEC filing DVD, I talk about uh, my actual performance from this time and show some uh, state uh, account statements. Uh, but it was weird because I was adding... Uh, money to the account and uh, also taking some out. So it's not like I started with X amount of money and then boom, uh, uh, six months later, it's $200,000 or whatever. I started with somewhere around $50,000, made a couple hundred thousand dollars. I probably added money on, I, I did add money on the way. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I, five or six pump and dumps. And I started with like a $10,000, $20,000 position uh, in Continental Fuels, 
CNFU, it was later at the time, I forget what it was, CFUL maybe, and I blogged about it. And then I, I also write, I was doing activist short selling before it was cool. I mean, this is back when uh, nobody, most people had not heard of Andrew Left and Citroen Research. Uh, actually, back then, I think it was still Stocklemon. Um, but so and I write on Seeking Alpha. There was this one stock I wrote about and gosh, I, I still regret it to this day. I did not, I could have shorted it, but I didn't short it before writing this article. And uh, the day I wrote the article, my dog said, hey. I'd rather listen to that dog than Steven any day. That's fine with me. So. <laughs> Treat, treat, treat. I will bribe you with a treat. I will bribe you. I am not above that. I do this with my kid too, although hopefully not too often. Treat. Sit. Good girl. Um, where was I before the parking? Um, you were, you were, sh- you were shorting before it was cool. Well, <laughs> basically, you were kind of getting into the, oh, the yeah, idea of, of activist the, articles yeah, and stuff. Yeah. This one stock I wrote about, uh, H2 Diesel, it later became. Uh, I have no idea what it became, but uh, I wrote about it, posted on my blog. Nothing happened. The next day, no news. It po- that my that reposts on Seeking Alpha. The stock drops fifty percent, uh, and the stock never, ever, ever recovered. When I wrote about it, it was an OTC stock. It later uplisted to the Nasdaq. Eventually, uh, it delisted from the Nasdaq. Went back to the OTC, and from that time, when I wrote about it. I think it still might even be public, but it never, ever, ever recovered uh, after I wrote about it <laughs> because it was just it wasn't a pure scam, but it was pretty close. Uh, they were talking about biofuels and how their stuff is so much cheaper than the normal biofuels. But all they were doing is uh, taking uh, what is it? It's uh, plant oils, basically, or uh, used. Uh, yeah, used uh, consumer oils and then adding in some detergents and surfactants so it can be used as biodiesel. But they weren't actually doing any chemical reactions. And that's why it's so much cheaper. They're not doing anything special. So there are people they say they're competing against. They weren't really competing against. They're just doing something different. And it helps that, again, my wife's a chemist, so uh, I could uh, ping her. And uh, actually, I remember uh, talking to somebody at uh, my university about that, too. I did that with... uh, uh, several other stocks. Uh, at the time, I was in St. Louis at Washington University in St. Louis. Wustel, yay, uh, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I, anyway, I kept short selling uh, through the end of 2017, and I'd made six figures in, in basically half the year, uh, somewhere on the low six-figure side. And then I kept getting bigger and bigger uh, positions till. At the beginning of uh, early 2018, I'm shorting $100,000 of a stock and just sitting on it. And also back in this time, if any of you are uh, short sellers, you know about forced buy-ins. You short a stock, your broker can no longer borrow it, you're forced to cover. Back at this time, these almost never happened. There was this one stock I held short, I think, three or four months and the interest rates I'd pay to short these stocks were not bad either. Uh, so it, I could. Well, yeah, I think, you know, it's like as a, as a historical thing, it's just like, I think um, 
you know, this is back in, in the wild west days of shorting these pump and dumps. I just don't think that many traders were doing it. So all the shares weren't getting gobbled up. So the brokers never had to worry about delivering those. And then they didn't really care about the interest rate because it was all just a bunch of weirdos like us that were actually shorting these things. So, Yeah. And uh, one other thing is uh, the SEC really didn't enforce uh, reg show. SA, regulation SHO for short, uh, very much back then. But as soon as, uh, uh, my gosh, I always forget which one was first. Uh, Bear Stearns uh, failed uh, early 2018. They started enforcing that uh, mid-2018. There was a ban on shorting financial stocks. So mid-2018, it got a lot harder to hold shorts uh, without forced buy-ins. So Early 2018, I'm doing good. I short this one uh, uh, LED light company. They're still public. Uh, it was just overvalued. It wasn't a fraud. Um, and this is not Cree. It's uh, Lighting Science Group. LSC. Okay, I was I was thinking Cree, but okay. Yep. Yeah, it was. It, that was their ticker at this at the time. It's probably different now, but not a fraud. Just insanely overvalued. And one thing you may not know about me, but every single light bulb in my house is an LED. I, I, I see. You've, I see. You've got you've, you've got three or four of them behind you on the on the shelf there. So <laughs> I, I see you're a, you're a, a, a proponent of light bulbs. I love light uh, uh, and good ideas and good ideas, which are kind of synonymous. But uh, Michael, Michael, I just want to interrupt because I want to say um, for the modern trader, which I which I consider myself, I'm not a not a great modern trader, but a modern trader. Um, back. Back when you were shorting these scams, there was loads of shares to short. You didn't have the forced buy-ins. Sounded pretty fun and not easy, but there was potential there. But how does it compare the market then to the market now? And is it easier? Is it harder? How has your strategy changed? I think it's harder. Uh, I I definitely think it's harder. And uh, so (laughs) also early 2008, I heard about... uh, uh, Tim Sykes, and then uh, eventually mid-2008, I signed up with him and uh, became a proponent of his. And he taught me a lot of the day trading stuff. Uh, Now, all the research, understanding penny stocks, I already knew about that. But the intraday trading charts and stuff, I wasn't really doing anything with that before. But uh, the interesting thing, and I still teased him about this since he makes so much uh, of – me having written this blog post called Tim Sykes is full of bullshit. Now this only makes it's bullshit with a P it only makes sense because at the time his publishing company was called bullshit press. And I was saying, you know, I don't, (laughs) I don't think his, uh, his uh, trading methods can really work for many people. Uh, So uh, in that blog post, I said, okay, you know, one of the things that's, problematic with this is these stocks are often illiquid. I think uh, the more people that learn this strategy, the less well it's going to work. You have problems with being able to borrow shares to short, et cetera, et cetera. And I still think many of my uh, critiques are valid. Now, I I was uh, overly confident in my conclusion, uh, which was that it didn't work. And a couple months later, I ended up signing up with him and, you know, I, I learned a lot from him. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I definitely think it's gotten harder as more people have learned about it. So especially shorting stocks, it's just so much harder to get a borrow nowadays. You need a special broker. Interactive brokers usually doesn't have shares, uh, that, whereas they've been my go-to broker for a decade. 
but on the other hand, uh, the more shorts there are, the, the more chance you have for crazy short squeezes. And uh, like, for example, today we saw in uh, this one stock, I don't even know what the name is, uh, CHK, yeah, Cap Limited. Uh, move from $4 a share to almost $20 a share in uh, three days. And uh, Tony was long about right? As well. Just yeah, he was. Uh, back in 2008, I mean, you'd have a bunch of pump, a bunch more pump and dumps back then. Uh, but for a non pump and dump low float NASDAQ to do that, I don't think you tend to get that kind of a move. Uh, obviously, you would, you have in the past, like back in the tech bubble and whatnot. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's still plenty of volatility in the market. I just think things are a little more complicated and I have to say, uh, I, I still work with, uh, Tim Sykes. And the first thing we tell people is, it, it, you know, if you subscribe to Tim Sykes or some other guru, or, uh, if you just follow one of us, one trader on Twitter, do not follow their trades because with slippage and not understanding how they're trading, you're going to lose money. Uh, I did that to Tim back in the day, and it actually worked. Uh, <laughs> I think I had like oh, a seventy wow. percent. So used to work. Oh, let's put that on. I had a seventy percent win percentage. <laughs> actually, literally, just following his trades. Now I was learning at the same time, so I wasn't just being uh, being a sheep. Uh, but still, uh, again, things have gotten more complicated since then. Okay, and. Uh, and uh... <laughs> yeah, I mean, that just brings me to another question that I know a lot of people, because a lot of people will be watching this podcast on you thinking, what can I learn from this guy who's he's made 2 million plus, is, is 2 million plus now, I don't know what the, what the latest figure is. Um, but I mean, I know because I've met you in, I met you in Italy in Positano, then I met you at the conference. And uh, because I know you've got a fun game coming up later on in, in the show, which I'm sure you're going to love. But uh, I know a lot of people want to ask me, um, what what advice would you give to people today to get started in the market? I've been privileged to see you in Italy, and you give some really good advice. Um, starting small, the fact that certain millionaires um, they just had the right look at the right time, and they didn't take those bad losses when they were in the gunslinger days, kind of thing. Do you want to build on any of that? Yes. Uh, so I was about to get to that uh, in my story of my trading. So I, I had Lighting Science Group. I had. I don't know. No, it must have been. You'll have to look at my profitly record for the true details. I ended up making about $90,000 on it. So I think I must have had like a $200,000 position and it dropped about 50%. Uh, so a huge position. I held it for a month, made a ton of money. Uh, the next stock I had a position in was a weird. It was a low volume one, a really high market cap, looked like totally like a pump and dump. Uh, there's this pump and dumper involved in it, um, but there wasn't much volume, and I couldn't find an active pump of it. It was very hard to find shares to short. I did find shares to short at Interactive Brokers, and I shorted it, about $100,000 uh, position at $13 a share. And this is uh, Max, Li uh, Max Life Fund Corporation. Uh, doing stuff with uh, life settlements in Canada. But their actual assets were negligible. They had a $600 million market cap. It was stupid. So I figure, okay, as soon as the actual pump starts, this gets volume, this is going to crash. The pump never started. A month later, somewhere around May, uh, the stock starts to slowly move up. And I'd actually 
probably tweeted about this. No, I blogged about it too. And uh, ended up, uh, I, I got some emails or phone calls uh, from different people, including some purported hedge fund managers saying, how the hell did you get shares to borrow of this? We can't find anything and we want to short it like crazy. So I, I was pretty much the only short seller in this. And then uh, it starts going up. I'm like, okay, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. And I'm like, I'll just hold. That's what I've been doing. I can hold through, you know, 100% drawdown on this. Uh, when, it, when it hit 24, I also got a forced buy notice from Interactive Brokers. And I think this was only my second forced buy notice. And I say, shit, because the volume is just not there. And... <laughs> So, so just real quick for the, for the newer traders where Michael's about to say, if there's no volume, you're stuck short. You're basically trading against yourself in yes. essence. So yeah, every, every hundred, 200 shares I'm buying is driving the stock up 20, 30 cents. It's just a really illiquid stock. So that day, by the end of my buying, it had hit uh, $28 a share and that was its peak. <laughs> I ended Which up is the getting, way it always seems to work, but yeah. <laughs> I, I, I ended up, uh, you know, I still had some short. It did drift a bit lower, uh, but I ended up taking about a $90,000 loss on that. Uh, so completely wiping out my gains from the previous good trade. And uh, then I also felt like crap. And this is the same point I left my friend's tutoring company and went full time. So... <laughs> Right after losing a hundred thousand dollars, it was it was quite uh, horrible emotionally, and I was a lot less emotionally stable then than I am now. And I know I sound so calm, uh, but I was a total um, had not just no self control. I still have no self control, but I had big anger issues uh, back then. Like I would throw uh, throw my uh, keyboard and my uh, mouse and break things and kill people. It was horrible. Uh, killing people is just a joke, though. I didn't do that. Uh, <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it felt horrible. And after that, I took my position sizes down a ton. But still, I, I uh, traded sometimes with big size. Because I wanted to get those big scores. I wanted to hit a home run. I knew it would feel awesome to make $100,000 in a trade. And I had made huge amounts of money in a trade. Not in a day trade, but in in one trade before. So for the next few years, so this is 2008. Really for the next uh, two, maybe, I think two or three years, I'd still occasionally have big position sizes. And one of the trading strategies I used Again, uh, this is back before Jeff or Andrew Left of uh, Citroen Research was well known. Uh, I'd set up uh, a uh, little bot uh, or a little algorithm program to scrape his website, so I know right when his website is updated. And then he announces a new short. I'd short it, and then I'd cover as the stock drop. It was a great trading strategy, but uh, na- then. I, I just trade it too big sometimes and occasionally I messed up. And this one time, I think in uh, spring, early spring, 2010 or 2011, I was up a hundred thousand for the year. I, 
right at Valentine's Day. My wife and I go off to the beautiful, beautiful place to go in February, uh, Seattle, uh, <laughs> for Valentine's Day weekend and uh, have a great time, uh, spend a little bit of money. I was still very frugal back then. And this whole time I was uh, trading back then, the neat thing is I did not need any of the money I made because my wife was working full time. She didn't have a highly remunerative job. It didn't pay great, but it paid more than all of our expenses. And uh, so that allowed me to take bigger risks. But anyway, I'm up $100,000 for the year. Uh, Then over the next month, uh, over the course of really in three trades, I lost, sorry, I need to interrupt myself. I was up 80,000 for the year, just to correct, correct myself. Over the next month in three trades, I lost $100,000. Uh, partly on uh, messing up big one of those uh, shorts of a Citroen Research short uh, because I hadn't realized that it had come out pre-market. And then I was shorting into a gap down and I took a big position in options. And then I was in essentially a short squeeze in an illiquid option as the stock was moving against me. Uh, And uh, what do you say to yourself when you're down (laughs) $60,000 on the day on a bad trade uh and by the end i lost sixty six thousand dollars that day and uh i love my wife very much we've been married for 13 years now and uh, at the end of the day she came home from work i'm just sitting in shock at my desk she says oh how was your day uh and rather than again i'm, I'm not even sad or angry i'm just completely in shock i said i lost a ton of money and she said she asked me well do you think you can uh over you know, over the next few months, do you think you can continue to be trading profitably other than that? I said, yeah. So she said, okay, well, keep trading. I'll stay with, stick with you. Uh, because that's what I want. I want to have a rich husband so I can, (laughs) no, she didn't say that part. (laughs) She better not listen to this podcast, but no, she said, you know, as long as you believe in yourself and you think you can do this, then, uh, keep doing it. And that was the last time I think I took a really huge position size. And ever since then, I I counsel people, for the love of God, do not take huge position sizes trying to hit a home run. First off, if you're new, if you're not training for a long time, you're not even expecting to be profitable. So by taking a large position, all you're doing is increasing your chances of taking a large loss. So just trade small until you're really consistently profitable. Then you just slowly increase your position sizes. Uh, But even now, again, I have great respect for the people with big balls like uh, Ducks and Gertani and uh, uh, Greg LX21, who I'm finally going to see again after many years of longing in my heart. I haven't seen him in a while. Um, But, uh, yeah, I have great respect for anybody. And uh, Ozark trades – uh, Phil Godecker, uh, he trades big sometimes too. Uh, and I have great respect for those guys. I just have never found, again, found it in myself to be able to take huge position sizes. So I don't. And the thing is, you can make good money just get hitting consistent singles. And sometimes my percent gains will be amazing. And uh, sometimes even my dollar gains will be great. But my risk, I've never had... Since that point over the last five years, I don't think I've ever had risk over 50,000, probably not over 30,000, and I've done perfectly fine. 
And I would have been even able to make a lot more money than I currently do if I'd done more research, worked harder, made more trades. And I mean, my average trade size is probably 10,000 bucks, which is funny considering I have $500,000 in my accounts. Uh, <laughs> but you don't need a big position size to make good money. And uh, emotionally, it's tough. And the other thing that guys like Gertani will tell you is once you start to get big uh, relative to your account size and big relative to the, to the volume in the stock, it completely changes how you react emotionally. And uh, once you st start to get big relative to the volume in the stock, it makes it a lot harder uh, because then you have to deal with the issues of moving the stock. And okay, well, I can't just... I can't just panic and get all out in one trade. I need to slowly cover into dips or something like that. And uh, I don't want to deal with that crap. <laughs> so uh, since that point, and then also soon after that was when I really started in detail tracking my trades. I tracked all my trades since 2007, I think, but there was just like one big spreadsheet. Since 2010 or 2011, I started breaking it down by exact strategy. So I say, okay, these are when I'm shorting uh, long-term shorts of pure pump and dumps. These are when I'm trading uh, based on, you know, buying this NASDAQ stock that spiked and then dipped back to support. And Which then we've, we've talked about a, a lot about, you know, of that on the podcast, you know, naming your setups, you know, and then tracking that particular setup because yes. – I, you've seen it. I've seen it. A lot of these guys, they don't even know what's, what's, what is making them money. Lots oh, yeah. of times, lots of times they think the opposite, you know, they're, they're, they think that, you know, going long makes them all their money. And then they look at their stats and wait, it's all going short. So, yeah. And uh, when I started doing that, I realized that I was not making much money at all trading NASDAQ stocks. And this is around the time there were big, big pump and dumps. Uh, so I said, okay, screw it. I'm just going to do OTC stocks. And the next year I made more money and half as many trades and was more consistent making money, had many fewer losses and it felt better. So, uh, you can get so much just by getting rid of all the bad trades. And, uh, now since that time, you know, there was the big run of big pump and dumps through about 2013. Then there was uh, marijuana fever uh, but last couple of years, I'm mostly trading, well, you know, I'm trading a lot of NASDAQ stocks, uh, trading some bankrupt uh, companies that trade OTC, uh, but not much in the way of uh, pump and dumps the last few years. But again, things change and I adjust. Uh, but at the time, the right thing for me to do was to stop making the trades uh, that I was not doing well on. And then you can always come back and figure out how to do them better later. No, I really, I really like that. Uh, and one of the one of the key things that I think is really important that is is what everyone's done, what Doc's done, has done, what Cortani's done, what you've done, is just uh, track track specific patterns and find out where your edges and find out where the the profitability is. And this is what I think a lot of um, beginners need to do, like kind of find one pattern that works for them. Yeah, I, I really recommend new people. You start with one pattern or, or one trade setup or two trade setups at most, and you do that until you're good at it. You don't start doing anything else until you're actually good at the first one because it's really hard to learn new things 
and makes it even harder to learn a bunch of new things at the same time. Yeah, and I think, go on, I'll let you go, Tim. No, I was just going to mention, you've got, again, on good trades, G-O-O-D-E, trades.com, you've got, like, links to your spreadsheets and stuff like that, because people are always asking for yes. that, right? Yeah, okay. yeah, if you just Google, or not Google, but if you just search my blog, uh, goodtrades.com, for uh, XLS uh, or Excel, E-X-C-E-L, you'll find uh, a blog post and a link to the spreadsheet, uh, which is basically the spreadsheet I use. It doesn't do anything fancy. It just looks at, you know, wins and losses, average gain, average loss, and uh, yeah, and then uh, weighted average gain is something I like because that takes into account how big your wins are, how big your losses are, and uh, how how many of each there are. So, if you look at all your wins and losses, uh, for me, I mean, total, my average trade, I make about one and a half percent maybe. And that sounds like crap, but that includes all my losses. My best strategy that I've ever had, I think, had an average profit of about 13 percent. Uh, Which that was that was this is how old I am. That was that was the old secret strategy, right? That was that was that he would he would never tell anybody. He would always he would mention it, but he would never let anybody know. That's how old I am. (laughs) So this uh, strategy uh, now there were some big problems with the strategy. It was not scalable. Uh, There was just no way uh, for me to have any size in it. I don't think I ever made more than like twenty twenty five thousand dollars a year from this, but. It was uh, 85%, 90% win rate uh, with, you know, making a few hundred dollars to a thousand dollars a time. Uh, and that was really, really nice. And it just came back in this time with interactive brokers. Uh, they were the only game in town for shorting pump and dumps, really. And uh, it came, uh, there was no way to reserve shares to short. So people could only get the shares to short of these uh, really big flying pump and dumps by putting in a sell order. And then that order would be filled as soon as pre-market opened at 8 a.m. And none of the market makers are trading then. It's only ARCA. So uh, I'd say, okay, I'll take the other side of that. And their uh, good till cancel short order will fill uh, up to 20% below the previous close and that's the key. I also had to look up the rules because if it's more than 20% below the previous close, the trade will be busted. It's a, it's a bad trade because it's outside of where it should trade. But I'd put in a bid uh, on ARCA just 18% below the previous close. So then if the pump just opens up the same as where it closed, I make 18%. And if it gaps up, I make more. And if it absolutely collapses, which, you know, that did occasionally happen, maybe I lose 10, 20% at worst. So it was an insanely good strategy. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> but but the biggest dilemma, you'd only get small fills, right? Right, right. Yeah. I get small fills. Uh, but that's okay as long as you're looking at it in terms sure. of a portfolio of different strategies. And, uh, hey, that money... I didn't make enough to buy a Lamborghini or anything, but that money sure paid the bills and, uh, or pay that, you know, what probably made $60,000 over, over the years from that, maybe 50, who knows? That's, that's enough for, uh, more than enough to have paid for my, uh, nice, uh, awesome supercar that I have that I bought just a year ago. Uh, <laughs> it's called a Ford F-150. <laughs> 
and, and the boat. And the boat. Do you still have the boat? Yeah, I still have the boat. It got fixed at the end of last year, finally. Uh, nice. So the problem is the first time I took it out, this is a 22-year-old 20, now uh, tiny little jet boat. Uh, bought it for a whopping sum of $2,000. Uh, needed a complete uh, uh, rebuild of the carbs. And, uh, but then I, first time I take it out, it sucked up uh, some rope into the pump, and that jacked it up. But I took it out at the end of last year, uh, late September, and uh, uh, it, it was it was nice. Although you, my wife complained that uh, the water by then was too cold to get splashed with it. I said, I want to do some cool 360 moves and stuff. I was going to say late September in, in Michigan can be pretty sketchy for boating, for sure. So. Yeah, it was it was 80 degrees that day, oh, though. okay. So All right, okay. The water was like 50, but... <laughs> Yeah, I've I've just got one final question because I feel like you've you've covered pretty much uh, everything over the course of a story, uh, and then there's a little game which you've just given a, a hint away to, because uh, one of the trivia's is about the boat, unfortunately. So oh. you give that away a bit. But uh, just just one last thing for just I'm always going for the new guys because I I was recently a new guy and I know how hard it can be, and you've kind of answered it with your spreadsheet, but. How do you find this first strategy? How do you find this this first pattern? Because it's I, I, Tim gets on socks to trade pro a lot as well. A lot of people saying, "Well, I know I need to find a pattern that works, but how do I find it?" I mean, what what advice can you give there? That is a really good question, Steve. Um, Thank you. A Most very good question. <laughs> An excellent question, and you know, you almost deserve a duck for that question. Uh, that is the question. How do you find a strategy? Well, the first thing you do is you find a pattern, something that looks to be repeatable. What are we doing with trading? We are, in essence, predicting the future. I say, based on this chart action, these fundamentals, that it is 60, 70% likely that a stock will go up or down at some at, at, at X point. And uh, different trading strategies are going to have different time frames, uh, different uh, other stuff. But that's essentially what we're doing is trying to predict what the stock will do in the near future. And so you look for patterns uh, that seem to repeat. And then that is when, uh, and again, just watch stocks, watch the volatile stocks every day. Uh, if you're just getting started, don't even consider uh, trading. I mean, don't, don't, you could just skip the whole practicing to day, day trade or paper trading at first and just look at uh, the 10 most volatile stocks at what they're doing every day and uh, see if you see any patterns. And uh, like what I would do way, way back when I was learning is I would always print the charts and then I would like look at them at the end of the week. And I want, yeah. sometimes I wasn't even, you know, again, maybe you couldn't get borrows. Maybe you didn't want to buy this stock up 50% on the day. So you're like, okay, I'll print this chart from Monday. And then Friday or Thursday, I'll look at it and be like, oh, okay. I had a feeling this would keep going up or I had a feeling this would dive. So. Right. And uh, I, I'd always do that too. Well, I want to print them. I don't like wasting paper. But uh, I uh, always save the intraday charts of interesting stocks. So literally, I have thousands, probably tens of thousands of intraday charts, one-minute candlestick charts of different stocks uh, over the last decade. And I don't do that so much anymore because I'm lazy and uh, I know a lot of stuff. Uh, but 
that really helped because then you can go back in time and look at, say, the stocks that did had this sort of move. And uh, in past presentations at uh, Tim Sykes' uh, penny stock conferences, I've looked at different factors that can affect stocks. So particularly uh, last couple of years, I think, not last year, last year I talked about bankruptcy. The two prior years I talked about news and how different kinds of news affects stocks. And uh, that's something that interested me. And that's something that you can easily research. Now, trading on that uh, is very different than looking at it in retrospect. But uh, the important thing is just finding something that uh, seems to, uh, just finding a pattern that seems to repeat. And then you start tracking it in detail and saying, okay, well, I'm looking at stocks that have a big move on some sort of catalyst on day one, some sort of news happens, and then it closes right near the high. Does it tend to gap up the next day? And then uh, if you're doing that, go do that and then divide the stocks into those that are OTC stocks versus NASDAQ stocks. And I'm sure you will find uh, a neat little interaction there, uh, which if you're not uh, statistically focused means that the NASDAQ stocks, I think, are far less consistent in gapping after a strong close than OTC stocks. So what Tim Gertani talks about as one of his uh, early on favorite strategies, besides just buying the pumps that were awesome at the time, uh, just note, don't buy pumps now. They all suck. Uh, <laughs> uh, the SEC and the Department of Justice have helped to crack down on a lot of rampant uh, pump and dumping, although you've got still got lots of sketchy stuff going on. Uh, but uh, the old email style pumps are not in vogue and there's still plenty of them out there. They're just not ever worth buying. But uh, anyway, so Tim Gratani, one of his strategies was buying OTC stocks that uh, have a big move and then close strong and then sell into the gap. And that's one of the things I do too. It was really consistent. Uh, now, sometimes you'd, you'd have a fairly sizable loss, uh, particularly if there's no neg negative news overnight. But I did that a ton on uh, marijuana stocks back in the original marijuana run days. When was that, 2012, 2013? Yeah, it was like, I think it was 14, 15, but anyway, somewhere okay. there, but yeah. So. Yeah, again, time still doesn't, uh, hard for me, block time, everything's the same. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, or, or just any... And it wasn't just marijuana stocks. It was all kinds of OTC stocks. And uh, you can look for other patterns, plenty of other patterns too. Obviously, looking for gaps is great if you have a small account under the pattern day trader rule. Uh, but that being said, if you don't find enough consistency in the trading strategy with that, don't do it just because you're trying to avoid a, a, a day trade. Uh, because if you make a bad trade to avoid a day trade, that's bad. Uh, you always want to have a good edge on your side. So, yeah, that's uh, really uh, what it is, is you look for uh, patterns. And the thing is, go and listen to people that trade stocks uh, that have experience like me or uh, any anyone named Tim, basically. Uh, <laughs> anyone named Tim. Uh, and, uh, you know, they'll tell you what patterns they trade. Figure out how they do that and then start tracking uh, that. Adapt their own strategy. You know, you don't even have to change it. Just your interpretation of what they're trying to do and see if it works. 
Now, maybe you misunderstand them or something, or maybe they're just completely lying because they're on Twitter and that's what people on Twitter do. Uh, seriously, there've been, there's this one guy on Twitter uh, who used to post and a lot of really good traders thought he was a good trader. And then it took about a year and a half before people figured out that he didn't know what he was talking about. Because if, if you don't, if you, if you, you can just post a lot of stuff that makes you seem really smart and then uh, sounds good and sounds good. Uh, but if you're not posting it, uh, if, if you're omitting some details uh, and not showing your actual account, then you, people won't know if you're actually making money trading. Well, and even certain styles, you might even even if it is a guy that has consistency, that oh, yeah, style yeah. that style might not suit you either. Right, you know? right. So you so might, yeah, yeah. So we'll go you ahead. could you could see, uh, you know, uh, like me or shorting super uh, shorting pump and dumps, and say, oh my god, how did he hold through a thirty percent drawdown? Well, I held through a thirty percent drawdown because my strategy on shorting pump and dumps is just long term, short and hold. And I have a small enough position that if it goes up 100%, uh, I'm fine. You know, it's an annoying loss. It'll wipe out a few months of profit, uh, but it's not a big deal. And that's how I end up with profits like, uh, I think OLMM uh, was a pump and dump where I had a 980 uh, it annoys me. It wasn't 90%. It was 89% or 88% uh, average profit on it. Uh, and I held for like a month. Uh, but... Now that doesn't include borrow fees. They weren't very big though. Uh, but uh, the thing is, yeah, a different people are going to trade differently. Even if you're perfectly trying to copy somebody, how you implement it is going to be different, uh, even if they have a set of rules. So that's why you need to track it individually. So uh, like one of the, th I've done that with things I've learned from uh, Tim Gertani. Uh, and it's nice to see uh, the student become the teacher. Uh, by all means, Tim Gertani is, uh, you know, he's better in just about every respect than me. That's <laughs> hey, I'm right there with you, brother. I trust me. I call him the golden boy all the time. I'm like, I mean, he's nicer than me. He's yeah, richer, exactly. Richer better than... looking. He's taller than me. I think his arms are bigger than me. You know, it's like <laughs> so humble too. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, um <laughs> What was the whole point of that besides I like Tim Gertani? Oh, yeah, I learned something from him. Uh, one of his first talks he gave at one of uh, Sykes conferences, uh, when he talked about, uh, you know, he doesn't buy the uh, breakout of a stock. He, he buy because stocks will tend to spike uh, a bunch on the breakout, wait for it to dip, and then buy it as it starts to bounce off support. Uh, so then I said, okay, that sounds like a good idea. I'm going to look into that and start tracking how I would trade those and start trying to trade that. And then of course, just because he said, I'm not doing that just because he says it's good. I'm looking into it because he says it's good, but how I implement it may be completely different than how he implements it. And maybe it would end up not being good how I do it. Uh, but definitely uh, look at and investigate potential trading strategies that other people talk about. As long as it's clear enough that you can investigate something. Now, if somebody and I'm go going to totally, uh, well, uh, <laughs> not meaning this as a diss uh, to any particular person, though to old people it might sound like that. But if somebody says, well, you just buy the dips and sell the rips, uh, then, okay, that sounds like a good strategy, 
that tell does not tell you anything about when to trade that. It doesn't tell you anything about in what situations you're going to trade that. If you just do that randomly on random stocks, you're going to lose money because you'll buy stocks that are dropping and they're going to keep dropping. Uh, you maybe look, uh, if you do that only with stocks in an uptrend above their 200-day moving average or above the VWAP or something like that, it could work perfectly fine. But I'm just trying to say that there's uh, little details that matter a lot. And uh, you need to pay attention to that. That's why you don't just start trading and start uh, doing trades just like your favorite guru. That will not work. I mean, not even getting away from the whole point of uh, uh, just following like a sheep some, some guru's trades. Don't even just say, okay, I'm going to trade just like you. I'm going to find this dip buyer. I'm going to find this supernova to short. Uh, first, look at how you're going to do that before actually starting making trades. But, but uh, Michael, so it, it can literally be as simple as, so when people are thinking, well, how do I start? It can literally be as simple as saying, if stocks just ran uh, 30% on the day with over a million or 2 million or 3 million volume, what does it do the next day? And that's, that, that's maybe a way of starting. That is a way of starting. I think that's too simple. Uh, you want to be a little more, uh, well, no, no, uh, that, that's fine, I think. Uh, but you want to exclude a lot of cases. You don't want to spend too much time just investigating very vague things. Uh, so like stick it up. So go and, uh, for your homework, if you're new to this sort of thing, uh, and look at, uh, supernova stocks, stocks that are up over a hundred percent in three days with each day, the stock being up a good amount. And look at how they do the next day and look at the intraday chart on the fourth day and see if you see any sort of pattern there. Uh, I am going to not guarantee because I don't guarantee anything. Uh, but uh, I am very sure that there you're going to find a very clear pattern on day four. Now, this doesn't tell you anything about what will happen on day three or day two of stocks that have already run up for one or two days. Uh, but it does tell you something about what will happen on that day four. Now, that's for pretty rare. It's very rare for a stock to run up three day, days big in a row. But, hey, look, C-H-E-K, uh, uh, that's three big days in a row and then a big drop. Uh, I think you're going to find a pattern if you look at that and look at sim all sorts of similar stocks. And then from there, just try other things. I think great advice. I think great advice. It's almost like you've been teaching this for, for a number of years. Yeah. So uh, for <laughs> for years, I was uh, giving <laughs> weekly webinars and uh, Tim Sykes uh, uh, challenge uh, thingy he, he has. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I know uh, my way around t uh, talking about this junk and I could do it while blindfolded. And completely drunk on one and a half liters of Kirkland Signature Vodka. Speaking of that, um, for the listeners, you know, if you do, if you are watching this on YouTube or listening, um, we, it's a little late. Maybe we'll insert this in the beginning. But it is, the, this episode's drinking game is take a shot every time. Michael is off by a decade on his years because oh. I, I, I think I have a mailman or something. 
I think we had about 10 or 15 2007s that should have been 2000 or 2017s that should have been 2007s. So, and and 2018s that should have been 2008s, but, but, uh, yeah, but overall it was a very, very insightful. I've enjoyed this one. What did, what did the mailman bring you? What did the mailman bring you? Sorry. It wasn't the mailman. Uh, it was, it was contractor's son. Ah, uh, Tim, do you have any final questions or, or before we jump into it? No, no, I think, I think, well, you know, Stephen or, you know, uh, Michael is a, is a wealth of knowledge. He's a bottomless pit of knowledge. So I would, uh, I think we'll definitely have him back. I think this is great for, for a first episode. So, so now that we've gotten through the, the nitty gritty educational part of the podcast, you know, we always like to bring, bring a little bit of entertainment to the to the to to the long you know if you're on the treadmill you know you're grinding through you you learned a little bit now we're gonna have a little bit of fun so steven has put together a presentation a game i I have heard now now i was told to look at this but most of the stuff steven does i just ignore so i have not looked at this so this This is is very dangerous very dangerous uh, yeah true don't even know what i'm about to show you very dangerous but but uh, I mean, basically, just to put a backstory to it, I met Michael in Italy, and uh, I was avid, an avid Tinder user, and uh, and it was fun to swipe through the girls in Italy. And Michael took a small interest, but he's married and faithful, so <clears throat> never went any further than that. And as did Roland, and Roland will probably watch this. So a lot of the guys were were having fun on there. And then when I saw Michael again at the conference, he was saying, "Do you want to quickly go on Tinder again?" And I thought, "I'll I'll do one better." Your uh, phone battery was dead. Your phone battery was dead. I asked you to borrow your phone. I didn't even tell you what I was going to do. I was just suddenly going to flip through Tinder. I was like, I was like, what? Why is he doing that? Why does he want me phone? I was like, shit, Tinder, of course. But I thought I let you down, Michael. I really, genuinely let you down that day. And um, and who knows who we would have matched? Who knows? It could have been life changing for me, uh, and probably only me. But. I wanted to make it up for you. I wanted to make it up to you. So I've created a new game, not called Tinder, uh, but it's called Timber because I've named it in uh, in honor of Tim Bourne. So uh, if you'd like to run the game, your challenge, Michael, is to score five out of five. And if you score five out of five in this game of online Timber, uh, you will win the prize of 1.5 liters of vodka that you can drink tonight. Nice. Scared of this. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for round one of uh, Good Does Timber, round one of uh, Good Does Timber. Okay, you, as you know, with Timber, it's Swipe left if you don't like them. Swipe right, right if it's a match. Now, this is a computer, and you are not where the producer is, so you cannot swipe, okay? I'm sure you're aware of the physical boundaries of time and space as it's been referenced already. Try. I don't know if it's going to work if you just swipe, but I will pretend to swipe for you, and what we're going to do is we're going to start with a little bit of fun, and then we're going to get into a few more trading-related questions. Okay. As Tinder is about matching. It's about matching the love of your goddamn life. Oh, no. So, I thought it was mostly about sex. 
<laughs> it's, it's, it's heavily about sex. So with that in mind, would you match this stunning young lady? Is this a match, Michael? I'm going to swipe yes. left. No, you're going to say no? Well, let's see if she matched you, Michael. Did she match you? It's going to be revealed. It's a match. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, baby. Barry is a sexy, sexy uh, man. I, I, you know, I was, I was gonna say something about the the face. Didn't I? I, I, I had a few red flags about the face. I, I wasn't gonna comment, but <laughs> did did any of you guys realize? Oh, were you not sure? I, I, I you I know, I wasn't. I wasn't gonna go out on the limb. But again, when I'm looking at the face, I, I had, you know, I, I had suspicions. I had suspicions. Uh, Michael, personally, if you were not married, would this be the type of person you would go for? For me, I, I would, I would just try it out of fun, just to try something new. But what, 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 what's your, what's your uh, opinion? Um, I really don't know. <laughs> okay, next. Really don't know. But round one, I'm going to give you because she matched you, so that's one out of one. Uh, <laughs> you need five points to win. Uh, you're doing well. So second. Is it a match? We're not talking uh, men who are women anymore, or women who are men. We're talking boats. Does this belong to you, Michael? We've already given it away. I'll take it, yeah. You'll take it? I'd hit any Let's boat. Go. T- Tim, is this a match? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, baby. I, I didn't quite have a didn't have a quite have a, a chance to answer, but yes, I was going to say. I mean, I kind of I could kind of see Michael. You know, he, he's a he's a he's a weekend handyman, a lot like me. He likes to likes to improve stuff, likes to do little construction projects. You can tell this guy's got a little lamination going on on the beam of this boat. He's fixing it up a little bit. The pink and purple scheme kind of makes me think of Michael. So yeah, I, I would have. I didn't have time, but yeah, I would have put him in this little bitty boat for sure. So okay, I'll let you two both both answer, and maybe even the producer can answer. We'll just throw all of you in the next one. Okay, so, <laughs> so good. two out of two. We need to get five. <laughs> this one kind of makes no sense at all as a match, but I'm going to run with it anyway. <laughs> Um, Michael, your biggest win and your biggest loss. Uh, ten seconds on each one, if you can go. Uh, biggest win on a trade would be ninety thousand or so on Lighting Science Group. Uh, a biggest loss was, I think, uh, sixty six thousand or so on uh, TRK. It was like some race sport thing. I described okay, that. Okay, brilliant. Uh, I'm going to let Anya. Uh, Anya is the... Uh... Anya is one of my daughter's friends. She's cool. Okay, uh, for this one, I'm going to bring Anya. Anya. It's a match. Envy. Yeah, yeah baby. Three. What am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> yeah, I got lost, too. You got to help me out. Uh, I don't know. I didn't know what to put as the next picture, and I just thought the baby looked fuck a bit weird. So I just thought, <laughs> whatever, let's roll with it. So let's just put it baby there. You're on, you're on three out of three. You're on three out of three. You've got two. You've got the next two. You win the whole game. Okay. Okay. My worst let's trading roll. habit is not working hard enough anymore, and not doing enough research. Uh, 
you know, identifying interesting uh, setups. I'm, okay, I'm lazy. I'm lazy now that I have a family. And uh, yeah, I've had a kid for five years now. So, so Timbon, is that a good enough answer for the trading gods to be satisfied on Timber or the Timber gods? I, I think that's a that's a good answer. I mean, it's you know, it's when, once you get to that point where Steve or Michael has kind of found his niche and he's just wash rinsing and repeating. There's nothing wrong with just repeating that same type setup over. I guess if he considers that a bad habit, I don't necessarily think it is. Stick with what works. Well, okay. I, I, I'm putting in less work than I should. Okay, all right. <laughs> so well, then laziness the is a bad habit. Yes. So to the trading timber gods, is this a match or is it not a match? I'm sorry, but the goal means that you lost the game, Michael. Uh, no, it means that I'm the was, greatest of all time. Game. The greatest of all I'm time. Gonna, I'm going to give you one more chance, Michael. I'm going to give you one more chance because I don't feel like the Timber Gods were fair to you. You've got one last chance. Who is your favorite trader of all time? No, there's no hints on the screen. There's, there's not a, there's not a hint. You spelled the favorite wrong again. <laughs> Stop being American. Stop being American. You gotta spell it the American way, or it's spelled wrong. Yeah, this is this is. If it's my presentation, it's my English spelling. (laughs) Does it does it PowerPoint fix that for you? I'm I'm gonna no, it's British PowerPoint. (laughs) I'm gonna say uh, I think it's my favorite trader is uh, Tim Bowen. Are you you sure? I think it's a trick. It's a trick. Is it? Is it? Is it? Who is the real? No. <laughs> you and after yeah baby yeah, good I, I appreciate good that Michael I mean him and I do go back I mean we've had we've gone squirrel hunting together we've uh we've we've aren't we've had arm wrestling competitions um we've we've had a lot of lot of, lot of good times for sure so so I appreciate that Michael so um, yeah, and I think Michael in a in a competition where there are no rules and where the rules do exist, they just change. I think four to five was a pretty a pretty good pretty good pretty good results. Hey, I'll take it. Eighty yeah. percent is a good winning percentage in trading. Yeah, yeah, four out of five on something you had no idea what you were doing. Hell, you gotta love that. So, can can I briefly just take a second referencing back that boat slide? I actually bought yeah. a boat off Craigslist, a little kayak uh, that had a huge crack in it. And then I you know, got plastic welding tools to fix it up. And then after I get it all fixed up, I try to sit in it and I realize, oh, I'm too big for this. Like literally <laughs> my hips are a half inch too wide. So then I had to end up selling it off. And my wife will make fun of me forever for this. <laughs> okay. Congratulations, Michael. Um, I think you'll always be remembered as the, the first ever Tim Bar winner, as well as the first ever Tim Millionaire. What will overall be the, what you'll be most remembered for, I, I will not know. Uh, you, time, time will tell and shape your own destiny. Uh, but I want to thank you for being on the podcast. I'm very happy to be here. It's been a lot of fun, guys. 
And as always, make sure to check out SteadyTrade.com. Send us your questions. Make sure to comment. We went over quite a bit. We didn't even really scratch the surface with with Michael's knowledge. I mean, again, years and years and years of experience. We'll for sure have him back. Hit the comments if you got a question you want us to follow up with him in the future. And again, thanks a lot, Michael. And thank you, Stephen, for putting together that incredible slide deck. And thank you all for listening, and we will see you next time. Hi, this is Aaron, a.k.a. Double A-Ron from New York City. And I like to go outside and find a stray dog, preferably an aggressive breed like a pit bull or a Rottweiler. Then I get real close, stare it down eye to eye until it starts to chase me. Then I run. That's right, I run while listening to Stephen and Tim on the Steady Trade Podcast. You can register to win real, actual prizes at their website, steadytrade.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the podcast a five-star rating and write a glowing review on iTunes. I did, and this is how we say goodbye in New York City. (laughs) 